0: Are you paving the way for the life you want? Facing decisions that may affect you personally and financially? The Decision Dialogues podcast, brought to you by Modera Wealth Management, presents personal stories about navigating through life's pivotal moments. Narratives that we hope will inspire you as you create your own story. You'll learn what influenced their next steps and gain insights that could help you with your own critical choices. Welcome to Decision Dialogues.
1: Thanks for joining us on Decision Dialogues. We're thrilled to have you along. My name is Mark Willoughby, and I'm a Principal and Wealth Manager at Modera Wealth Management LLC. Today, my colleague Mindy Nira, who's also a Principal and Wealth Manager at Modera, will be chatting with Christian Meneses of Blanc Noir Event Group. Blanc Noir specializes in bespoke event experiences for each and every client. Christian, I hope I have pronounced the name of your company correctly. I tried to use my best French accent there in, in describing it. <laughs> I, like I it. will hand over to Mindy to take it from here.
2: Great. Thanks, Mark. Hi, Christian. Good to have you today.
3: Hey, Mindy. How are you? How's everything? Good.
2: Good. And uh, I'm excited to have a conversation here you know, your path and journey through being an entrepreneur, but you're not only a business owner, you have two jobs. So I want to start there. Tell us what you do.
3: Yes, I have uh, two different lives, I guess you could say, but they they somehow meet along the way. Other than being a, a DJ and a business owner in the entertainment business, I am also a school-based speech uh, language pathologist.
2: That's great. And so... How did that happen?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it's funny because when I first started going to school, I knew I wanted to work with people. I've always had that personality trait of being the patient person in the room, I guess you could say, even with my younger cousins that would beat me up or whatever. I was always the quiet, patient child, and I guess as I I grew up, I uh, always had that characteristic, but then... I didn't know where I wanted to go. I went to college undecided. During that time, I had a cousin who was actually developmentally delayed. I had no idea what that really meant at the time, but I do come from a Colombian background where most of my family is is immigrating to this country. So I'm a first generation. So I was helping my aunt and my uncle translate a lot of things because they didn't know what was going on. They were completely lost and I was the closest thing they had to somebody who was somewhat educated and, and can help them out. My cousin started getting earlier intervention and all these magnificent, magnificent things started happening with his speech and language development. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Somebody just helped my cousin who didn't say one word now is communicating all these things. I started doing some of my own research, due diligence, observations. I, I contacted some speech therapists in the area. I said, hey, can I just come see what you do? I, I I don't need any signatures or any hours. This is unofficial off the books. Some people said, yes, I did some observation hours and the rest was history. I I, uh, enrolled into this program, which was a very challenging program and and competitive because the class sizes are always so small. And I was able to finish my bachelor's in speech and hearing sciences uh, with a minor in psychology and then uh, attain my master's degree in speech language pathology. But during that time, is also when the DJ stuff evolved, because it was my college job, something that kind of was getting me through and something that I did for fun, which ended up turning into a bigger business. But, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into that at this moment.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely
3: get into that,
2: because uh, that's some big stuff. So that, that's great. So you're DJing college, you're pursuing your speech pathology future career, And Mm -hmm. I know when we've talked, you didn't think that the DJing side of things would continue. We'll come back to the speech pathology, as you mentioned earlier, sort of those roads Mm -hmm. cross uh, in a lot of ways now. But tell us a little bit about how the DJing side of things continued uh, to get to where you are now.
3: Sure. So the DJing thing was a job that I acquired from just being the guy carrying the equipment. It was the roadie. I was started off as a roadie before that. I always had a passion for music. I always had a passion for for playing music. I actually fun fact that some people don't really know this about me would save my lunch money to buy music. So I wasn't the normal kid saving his lunch money to buy toys or other things. I would literally buy records, cassettes, CDs. Sometimes if I couldn't afford the full album, I'd buy the single Cause the singles were cheaper than the full albums. I don't know if you guys remember any of that, Um, but, and I know we're on a podcast and you can't see the visuals, but even right now, my background, those are all real vinyl records on my wall. Like, and I have tons of them. And so that was always a passion of mine. And then I got this opportunity to just kind of get my foot in the door with, with the DJ entertainment company, learn the ropes and kind of see what they did. And I just worked my way up. Like, almost saying I'm working my way up a corporate ladder. Wow. The guy carrying the equipment, then the guy who got promoted to doing the TVs and the audio visual and then up and up. And then finally I got the opportunity to DJ. They gave me a chance and I started DJing and it just really started going really well. And, and the parties went well. And I also kind of just started doing some things on my own on the side. It was fun, but it also something that I needed because I needed money to, get through buying some books and getting gas money. And unfortunately my parents financially couldn't help me with a lot of those things and they supported me and saying, Hey, go to college and do something with your life. But that was it. That's as much of support as that they could give me. Mm -hmm. Obviously I appreciated that. And so I had to find my way not to get a little bit more, but you know, even with the DJing thing wasn't enough, I I, have many times in my, since I started working, I've always had two to three jobs multiple sources of income going on, because when I was DJ, I was also working on campus, very involved in, in, in helping um, transfer students and new incoming students with, with things there, and then I also was a cashier at ShopRite, so,
2: wow. so
3: the hustle has never really stopped for me, <laughs> uh, even from my early years. I've always had multiple things going on.
2: Wow, so you've worked very hard to get to where you are, and yeah. and along the way, even as you come to Blanc Noir and now here you are with a well-established event group, um, which is amazing. And by the way, I didn't mention at the beginning, but Christian was a DJ at my wedding, which we've gone through a lot together in the past few years a pandemic and rescheduling. So he is amazing. Thank you. It, you know, you've, you've really come a long way. It sounds like, but I know that that didn't just happen. So, Tell us about um, the, the trials and tribulations. You did try to start your own company a couple times before you got to this point. Is that right?
3: That this is very true, Mindy, and this is something that, when people comment of the luck and of the fortunate moments that you might have now, it's really a moment that I always reflect back on, and I say to myself, because sometimes I'm not going to spend there and tell you my entire life story. But yeah, I failed not once, but twice in starting my own business in the entertainment world. I first started with the uh, one business. It's the name is is actually pretty funny. But whatever, we're all having a conversation here, right? We called it brilliant beats entertainment. Ah. So brilliant beats. (laughs) And I was really more of the creative and, and, and talent in, in the company. And then my friend just thought that DJing would bring him girls and other stuff. So he was like, hey, man, I want in. And his investment into the company was business cards. That's it. <laughs> he bought the business cards and that was his buy-in. And looking back at it, I'm like, wow, what if this thing really took off? You would have got off really easy and it didn't work out. You know, it just wasn't the right, uh, I guess you could say fit and, and just back to the drawing board, right? And then I started Manessus Entertainment, which was just sole Manessus under me. And I'm going to try to do this thing on my own. And that didn't work out either. And so there was a lot going on in my life. I was also in school and I was busy and whatever the case may be and why these things didn't work out. You know, I could kind of try to dissect it apart. But what I do know is that that fire still was inside of me that I couldn't give up. When you're working towards something, it's crazy how things just kind of start finding themselves your your way, almost like that concept of you're attracting things. And around that time when I was working still very hard and and trying to build what I was doing and still create a name for myself. And then back then it was making mixtapes and handing out CDs, believe it or not, got me clients. Like people would remember those CDs that, you know, my DJ name is DJ Menace. DJ Menace gave for free a few years back. And then when they were getting married, they would say, Hey, I remember your mixes were so awesome. I want you to DJ my wedding. And that just kind of kept coming around. Facebook came around too. I'm dating myself, but the early years in Facebook came around and I reconnected with an old childhood friend who was also DJing. We lived in totally separate areas. We had lost communication because this was also before cell phones. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And one day we sat down in his mother's dining room and said, hey, we want to do things our way. We are kind of tired of just being the hired gun for other companies and almost just settling in, in certain ways of how we would like to do our own thing. And we just went for it. And in my mind, obviously, after failing a couple of times, I was like, okay, this is hopefully it for me, but I'm I'm going to give it a good try. I'm not going to let my past failures determine what my future is going to look like. I'm just going to give it a good shot and see where it goes. And that was late 2011, and now it is 2022, and blanc Noir has grown. As you guys already might know in the field that you guys are working with, in the financial and, and business uh, side of things, that life expectancies for for small businesses start to decrease as the years go on three years, five years. And now my company has been around for 10 plus years. So I feel like that is a success. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to say that those 10 years were easy either. Even when we were, we've been building and the in the tons of, of mistakes and, and obstacles that we had to overcome. But I am very grateful that a passion of mine, because I still have that passion of, of music and And connecting with people and communicating through music, as I call it, because I'm not really talking very much on the microphone when I do events. I let the music do more of the talking is definitely something to me that's amazing because I saw something the other day. It's like if you can't stop thinking about something, don't stop working towards it. And so I can't stop thinking about music and about what I do all the time. I literally think about DJing and, and this side of things all the time to the fact that I have one whole room in my house dedicated to my music. I have my turntables. I have my vinyl records. I have all this set up because sometimes I just come here, turn on the the turntables, put my headphones on. And for me, it's an escape. It's also a therapy for me. So it's great that I'm able to kind of do something that I love to do and get people to pay me to do it. I mean, come on.
1: It's not work, right, Christian? Do you mind me bringing you back to the two failed ventures because failure is not a waste of time right it's probably some of the best learning opportunities for all of us i think some people don't recognize that but you know when you fail uh the big thing is to learn from something from it did you take any big learnings from from the failed ventures Was, was there anything that you came out of then that said i'm not doing that again
3: yeah i i think the the biggest lesson learned is that although I had some direction and I guess clarity in what I wanted to do to get from a more mental and personal level, I know that I didn't fully believe in myself. And he- and here's a little bit more to that. When you're building a business and saying, okay, I'm a creative that does this, but now I'm trying to organize it in the sense of getting people to trust me, to give me money. I have to deal with legalities of contracts and all these other things. To me, it was so daunting that I was almost kind of like, how is anybody going to pay me this sum of money that I'm asking them to pay me when I'm just starting out? I don't necessarily know all these other avenues of business thing. I'm a DJ. I wanted to play music. I wanted to make people dance. But when you start a business, you start to realize it might not just be what your technical or you know, talent is, it's a lot more to it. And as I matured as a person, as I matured as a, a DJ and all these other aspects, I started to have more confidence in myself. And I do feel like that confidence helped me break through to that next level and that next step that I needed to, to get to, to have more success in what I do.
1: So am I hearing then that maybe the timing of the launch of your first venture, it may have been too soon. Maybe you could have worked somewhere else as a DJ first to kind of kick the tires, learn your craft and then launch yourself.
3: Could be. Yeah. I I mean, I I, I was, you know, still, like I said, working for other companies and and taking a, a lot in from what they were doing. I mean, because, Most entrepreneurs before they become one, some will mostly say they work for somebody else. They learn the ropes and they got some back-end experience and whatever that might look like and kind of help them to to get where they need to to go. Because I definitely took that opportunity. I used to work for a company that if you had to put in a paper, they're a multi-million dollar event company. So they weren't small by any means and they were doing some high-end stuff and also pumping out hundreds of parties and things that I was trying to take in everything from logistics to just organizing these events to office stuff to it was a lot going on so yes I definitely tried to to take a lot of notes but once again when you get there yourself even if you you know it's like I went to school to study this but when you your first day at work you're like uh okay, I don't, school didn't really prepare me for all this. You know, that's, that's kind of like what it felt like. So, yeah, it was definitely a little bit of a mixture.
2: Wow. So let's talk about finances at the beginning of your, you know, the, begin, the beginning stages of Blanc Noir versus now. When we've talked in the past, your perspective on, you know, what to do with profit and earnings is very different then as it is now. So I'd love to hear a, a little bit more about that.
3: As far as the financial aspects of when the business started, most of the funding just self-funded. It was myself and my business partner, money out of our own pockets. Uh, We took out a small credit card, maybe like $6,000, like nothing crazy to just buy some equipment. Uh, We've always run a pretty lean company in the sense of not taking on debt, which I think has been good. However, the profit side of things, I would say, definitely weren't being managed properly. When I first started my company, I was 25 years old and I was transitioning from moving out of my parents' house, trying to do things on my own, and I necessarily wasn't thinking about retirement or investments or any of that stuff. I also, to be honest, didn't really have guidance or people in my circle who would really talk about those things either. So it wasn't really something that came to mind. It was, you work hard and you should enjoy it. That was the what was happening. And that's what I was doing. I was working hard. I was waking, making way more money than my peers at the time. Because don't forget, at this time, I was also getting some money from my speech pathology job. So I wanted something nice, I would get it. If I needed to do something, I would do it. If I wanted a, a leased car that was Nice because I liked it. I got it and I wasn't managing anything. You know, I was putting a really small amount, maybe like $75 a check or maybe a month to like a 403B account, which I mean, I could have put way more. (laughs) I really wasn't tackling my student loans. I wasn't doing any of it. I was just living my life. And it's changed drastically. The change is like, I can't really look at that person and say, I understood what they were doing, but almost kind of going back to what Mark kind of says, hey, you know, maybe the timing or you just weren't there at the time. And those mistakes helped me make better decisions. And and I, I, I believe that is very true because the light bulb hit me one day and it really went from just not thinking that way to. Now that's on my mind all the time. I started investing more into that 403B. I started doing some personal stocks on the side, uh, investing into real estate and thinking about my future in a totally different sense. And now it's just an everyday thing. It's just something that I, I just need to have on top of mind. Not saying that if I want to go on a vacation, I'm not gonna go, but there's some type of balance and there's some type of realization that you're eventually going to get to the point of your life where you might want to slow down or your income might change. You might want to retire and you might get there to this quote unquote age, whatever that might be, 62, 65, 69, whatever it is, and you might not be ready. And that to me is pretty scary when I speak to people And they're just going at it because they can't stop. Not because they they want to necessarily be there or want to keep going to work, but they just didn't prepare themselves or they financially weren't making the decisions that they needed to make. And look, as human beings, I feel like we're always learning or you should be learning. And to this day, I'm always trying to learn more and do more things to get myself in a better position financially because there's a lot that I don't know. And whether it's listening to a podcast, reading a book, listening to audio book, whatever it is that I'm doing, I make time for it now just like I make time for other things because it's that important. Like if I make time to work out, I make time to learn more about financial uh, decisions and, and things like that because I'm also a person who comes from, a family of immigrants who came to this country who said to themselves, we can only do this much. And they surpassed that so much point to that point. They were like, okay, this is it. Like what Christian's doing right now is crazy. You know, when I talk to my father about investing in stocks or I just raised the amount that I'm putting into my 403 B or I have a multifamily and then another house.
1: He doesn't, he doesn't understand. Right. Christian.
3: It's very foreign. It's very yep. foreign, you know, so I had to get out of that mindset. I had to get out of that, you know, this is what you should be doing versus educating myself and saying, okay, this is what I think is the best fit for my lifestyle and my future. And although my parents did the best that they could, they were also, like I said, not really educated in that area, which is no fault of theirs. But then I had to figure out a way to kind of learn those things along the way. And I'm still, like I said, I'm still literally learning.
1: Was it one moment, Christian, or, or was it a series of, was it a growing realization that kind of got you more comfortable thinking about, you know, saving and building wealth and planning for the future?
3: What I think it was, Mark, is, is age. <laughs> and I know we should have put the, the, the whole number on age and what society thinks on things. But I'm being honest here. I was hitting 30. I started my company in 25, I was hitting 30, and I really got to that day where that light bulb went off, literally, and I said to myself, man, I'm about to be 30, and I really have nothing to show for it. That, that's kind of like what, what hit me. Like, I, I, was, I, I was renting a house with some roommates, and just like I said, living my life and, and not really worrying about any of these things, to fully saying like, what is happening, and just everything... Flint. Which flipped like completely from from literally like a day to another. I I started saving aggressively that same year. I bought my first property. Like it just yep. once that fire gets in me, good luck trying to stop me.
2: Christian, it also um, that also paid off. You mentioned retirement, right, as as your longer term goal, but it also helped you. You know, we just kind of coming out of a recession here, we're still in it. So, you know, how did it prepare you for that? I know we had a lot of conversations at the beginning of 2020, not only because of my wedding problems, (laughs) but also because of what was going on and, you know, being a small business and it took a toll on you and your company, I imagine.
3: Correct. I mean, it was an extremely scary time, I think, for everybody. For my business, like really 90-something percent of the events we do are weddings do some corporate events, but we do mainly weddings. In the state of New Jersey, we were one of the first to have an aggressive shutdown and then one of the last to reopen. So the longevity of of the situation was rough. We had countless amounts of postponements and we still have a commercial lease because we do have a, a storefront. We still have Uh, marketing contracts that we have with like Lena and some of these other wedding sites that believe it or not, a lot of people were like, Hey, we still want our money. Mm. You know, they they weren't, Hey, we're, we're really sorry for what's going on, but you signed a contract and we still need to get paid. And I was like, okay, we have to figure this out. And when Mindy called, I remember we were talking about some things going on and financial stuff, because she was trying to, educate me about some programs that were coming up in the pipeline and that I was still kind of figuring out myself. And I said to her, Hey, I'm happy that, you know, I live to a certain extent below my needs. And I always have a security blanket, a certain money allocated to, if it hits the fan, whether, you know, it's my business or I have to replace my roof tomorrow, which, you know, is not cheap or whatever else might come your way. What is going to help me get through and luckily, I, I had that, and so I think that helped me breathe a little bit. But it was still stressful because we had no clue how long it was going to last. And every time we thought we were coming up for some for some air, it kept kind of extending. So yeah, I mean, a lot of companies didn't make it,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and it was scary when you started seeing those things. You're like, "Am I going to be next?" Like, it, this is this is tough. And I'm still feeling it to this day, and I feel like. Some people forget about that when it comes to some of these wedding vendors and what we do in our business. Like, for example, I have a wedding next month in April that postponed twice. So I've been working with that client for three years and on their same date, I've said no to a bunch of other clients. So I'm not making any of that money up. And the same thing with with Mindy's date, you know, she got married in a very popular month which is October and obviously we had our deal and we had our contract and then when I had to move their wedding anybody else that came my way I had to say no so either way you know I'm still feeling a little bit of it because I'm still doing postponed events till this day that that money you can't really make up for it. but luckily we always had a a, a kind of lean way of running the company but furthermore the security blanket and just having the something happens, what are you going to do? You know, and I know for some people, sometimes people think of it, what are three months worth of my expenses, six months or whatever. I feel like it's always good to have something, you know, and I think when Mindy, when we are talking the other day, it's also it's like, what helps you sleep at night too? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is something can happen and what are you going to do if it does? Yeah. Getting yourself in a hole is probably not going to make the situation any, any less stressful. Yeah. So,
2: And thanks for sharing that because I think that's you know, it's really impactful. Had that, had this happened, you know, when you were 27, maybe things would have looked very differently for your for your company. And so those financial decisions and changes you made really paid off, even though it was still str- you know, it's still a struggle to get through. Um, and you're still going through it. Right. Before we we really wrap up, I want to change gears just a minute here and talk about the sort of overlap the crossroads of your going back to your two businesses. So speech pathology and DJing and, you know, working with the special needs community is actually one of the reasons that drew me to you, you know, that I'm involved in the special needs community as well. And I saw your autism awareness bracelet when we first met. And after a conversation, it was, you know, I knew we'd be working together. Um, I knew that you were doing good things. So how have your two sort of careers collided and, and worked together. I'd love to hear more about that.
3: So I've been fortunate enough that my career as a speech pathologist has really been focused on working with children and young adults with living with autism. And that's always been a passion of mine from the speech pathology side, something that I've dedicated literally the last 15 years of my life to when I first started working with special needs population, I started participating in like small events, like little dances. And I would DJ for a group of, you know, fifty kids or whatever. We'd have like a little dance, maybe an hour or two, because they didn't have these opportunities. They didn't have an opportunity to have a dance or to do any of these things as their typically developing peers, somebody, you know, some people would say. And so I was like, you oh, know, these kids, these kids party, these kids love to dance. These kids love music and why not? So I would, I would do it all the time. And then it started kind of growing from there. And then I started doing like small proms over the years. I've had the opportunity to like participate and be like a special Olympics coach. And even in April, I uh, work with this uh, nonprofit, and, uh, they're actually based out of Newark, the center for autism. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, an event where it's almost like a advocacy event for the community. And we're going to have some music, but there's going to be some formalities at the beginning. And so I'm going to be participating in that in April as well. So the last couple of years, things kind of died down with events, obviously, because of what's going on, but I was very excited to kind of get that call and, and, and be a part of something again, because it's, it's, it's been a little while, but, uh, it's always tied in to the community and, and doing two things that I love. I've said this to a couple of people, and I say, look, it's so hard to find something that you love to do and then be able to do it. I don't mean to sound greedy, but I found two things that I really love to do, and then I'm able to do them, and it's, it's pretty awesome, you know. It, very, it really is. That's great,
2: yeah. And I'm sure those um, proms and dances are a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. They, they they have those smiles. I, I mean, it changed my perspective on life, to be honest. You know, when you're going through something, and you're having a hard time, and you see this child with a disability, overcoming so many obstacles, and they have a smile on their face, you're like, what am I doing? You know, like, why am I upset about, you know, the, the traffic that I hit on the way to work today? You know, like, It was a new sense of perspective. They gave me that. The autism special needs community gave that to me. So it's almost kind of like, what could I do to give something back to them? Yeah.
2: So this has been a great conversation. I have one last question uh, for you and uh, to wrap up. What is the last decision you made that was not financial related?
3: The last decision I made that wasn't a financial decision was to not carry my my baby girl and pick her up because i knew i'd get stuck downstairs and instead i ran straight to my office to talk to you guys.
2: <laughs> so you need to get off of this call and go see your little girl
3: <laughs> <laughs> she was in a little chair with her hands sticking out i mean i'm like i can't do this because I know i'll get stuck here so i ran up here that was the last decision <laughs> it was a tough one
1: Okay. Well, thanks very much to Mindy and to Christian for letting us listen in on their conversation. We appreciate their time and perspectives and and thank you, our audience, for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time on Decision Dialogues for more stories from successful business owners. So long for now.
0: Thank you for listening to Decision Dialogues. We hope you found today's stories helpful for your own decision-making. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can subscribe on your preferred podcasting app Or visit our website, where you'll also find show notes and important disclosures. www.moderowealth.com forward slash decision dialogues. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.